Thank you, thank you. Uh, I uh, brought my water bottle with me. When you live in central Texas, which is hotter and drier, you've got to have a serious water bottle. So I uh, brought that with me today. And uh, uh, it is, it's always great to be with you all. Uh, I wish we could be here more often. Uh, there's just so many of you that we have years of uh, history with. Uh, but even the ones that, that I don't know, it's great to be with you. Um, uh, you know, the thing about trust... Uh, when I think about trust, I, th- I have a couple of thoughts. And one is, is that trust is faith exercised. Trust is faith exercised. You know, it's easy to uh, say that we trust God until we get into a trusting situation. <laughs> right? Until it just seems like there's no other option. Uh, 23 years ago, Suzanne was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, we, you know, had all kinds of people pray for her. We even were flown to Atlanta, Georgia, because a group of powerful African pastors were in town there. And we were flown there so that they could pray. Uh, they could pray over her. And, um, you know, um, all, all that was uh, pr- uh, ended up coming from that exercise was one of the as- African pastors just said to her, when I, when I prayed for you, I said, uh, and she had breast cancer, he said, when I prayed for you, I saw death come off of your chest. Okay, she still had to go through surgery and chemo and radiation and a couple of years of touch and go things. Um, but, you know, when we got back from Atlanta, um, pretty much our options were, were gone. <laughs> Except for the option of going through with all of the medical procedures. And I went upstairs, we had a room over our garage here in Garland, and and I went upstairs and I screamed at God, and at Satan, and at the angels, and at the demons, and every other listening ear. I bargained with God. I started enumerating all of the things that we had given up for Him. I reminded Him of all of that. I went on and on and on, screaming. Until I lost my voice. Until I lost my voice. And finally I fell on my knees. Sobbing. And I said I don't understand. But I trust you. I don't understand. But I trust you. Often we're brought to that point. Often we're brought to the point of saying. I don't understand. I've looked at all of the things I can think of, of all the scriptures that I know, of all the prayers that I've prayed, of everything. I don't understand. But I've just got to trust you. Because I know you're trustworthy. Uh, anyway, that's not all of what I'm going to speak about today. But, um, you know, I know that, uh, that you all are on this Journey of Faith series. Uh, Jordan ta- and I talked about that before he started it. Uh, I've not been able to listen. Uh, in fact, to be honest, I've only listened to most of one message, which was week before last, the Lego message. Appreciate the Lego message there, Jordan, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Ryan, I'm intrigued by what you talked about, at least the title, the gospel in 80s music. And I've got to say, I probably would relate more to the gospel in 60s music. But um, I'll listen, and uh, I'll, I'm sure I'll get a lot out of it. <laughs> Yeah, so I am going to talk about faith today. 
And I think there's no other place that I was immediately drawn to than Hebrews 11, starting at verse 1. Chris, if you'll put that up there. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We're going to stop right there for, for a few minutes. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Some translations say faith is the, faith is the um, substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What's saying here to us is that faith is connected to hope and faith is connected to the unseen. It's connected to hope. And I've told you before, as I've spoken to you on several occasions, biblical hope is not like the way we use the word hope. Like, I hope you'll come over for dinner. I don't know if you will or not. I wish, I desire, I hope that you will. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is the absolute certainty that what God has promised, He's going to perform. And I'll show you that in a Bible verse later on. It's the absolute certainty that what God has promised, He's going to perform. It's the assurance of things hoped for. Now somebody give me a definition of assurance. Assurance. Guarantee. Yeah, it's a good word. It's a guarantee. It means I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. If I connect my faith to hope, to the absolute certainty that God's going to do something, then I believe that it's a guarantee He's going to do it. Now sometimes we think of hope biblically as what God's going to do in the end. We are absolutely certain He's going to raise us up, give a resurrection body, Jesus is going to return, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. That's our hope. That is, quote, the blessed hope. But there's also a present hope. There's also things that God has promised you and me now. And that we can take hold of with absolute certainty that He's going to perform that. A lot of it's in Scripture. He's told us that He's promised us certain things to be true in our lives. And one of those is victory over the enemy. Suzanne has a story about that. In which she believed God, exercised her faith. Um, okay, well, this was last Thursday, so we're in our new house, and I'd had a couple of pieces of bedroom furniture delivered. So these two guys came to deliver it, both really young, 20-ish, I guess. And so they have to go across the back porch to get to our bedroom. So they went across the back porch, and we have really a really an amazing view off our back porch of the hills. And, and also there's woods behind our house. And he walks across there and he goes, wow, that's, that's really some view. And he goes, oh, but it looks really scary too. And then he goes, so don't you worry about werewolves? <laughs> I, I, said, I said, no, I don't. I don't worry about werewolves. I have Jesus. And he said, oh, well, that's a, that's a good answer. <laughs> and so... Anyway, so then he goes in and he starts putting the poles on the, you know, dresser door and all. And so I went in there and I said, so, I said, do you worry about werewolves? <laughs> and he said, well, yes, I do. He said, well, not like werewolves exactly. But he said, 
I do worry about like dark, evil, scary, spooky things. And my first thought was, he's being harassed by evil spirits. So anyway, I was talking to him and I said, well, you know, I feel like there's a number of reasons why Jesus came, but I feel like one reason why Jesus came was to have power and authority over every dark and every evil thing. And that's why I feel like I'm not afraid of those things. And he said, well, that makes sense. So we started talking and I found out he grew up in a family of faith. He was, in his words, filled with the Holy Ghost when he was 13. And when he was 14, he just totally walked away. And he had been just totally away from God ever since then. So, so I said to him, well, would you be open to me before you leave, me praying for you about this fear that you have? Because I don't think God wants you to live that way. And he said, well, yes, I'd, I'd be open to that. So when we started to pray, he goes, you know, he goes, wait a minute. He goes, I think this is a sign. And I said, well, what do you mean a sign? And he said, I think this is a sign that this is my time to come back to God. And I said, well, I agree with you. <laughs> so anyway, so we prayed. We prayed about that, about him coming back to the Lord. And then, and then I thought, well, I have him right here. I have him, we're praying. Might as well do some deliverance, right? <laughs> so, so just spoke to those evil spirits that had been harassing him and just took authority over them in the name of Jesus with the blood of the lamb and just told them to go in Jesus' name, told fear to go in Jesus' name. So we finished praying and he said, I have to tell you something. He said, when we were praying, he said, I felt goosebumps all over my body. And he said, I remember that feeling from when I was 13 in church. And he said, I kind of think maybe that was God. And I said, well, I believe it was God. And he said, in fact, he said, I feel God in this whole room. Like, he's all over this room. I said, yes, he is. <laughs> so anyway, so he goes, this is a sign. I'm, this is my time to come back to God. So anyway, so we had to go back across the porch um, and to get back to the truck. So we went back across the porch, and he goes, this is beautiful out here. And he goes, it, it doesn't look scary at all. And then he threw his arms up, and he goes, I feel so much relief. Um, so anyway, so his name's Josiah. And in the process, also I'd given him, I had those Time to Revive Bibles. So I'd given him a little Time to Revive Bible and gone through the verses to make sure he you know, understood them. And then he said to me, he said, well, do you, would you be willing to give me your phone number in case I have questions? And so I said, well, yes, I would. So I wrote my name in the back and gave me my phone number. And so by 8.30 the next morning, he had called me. <laughs> and he said, I don't get it. Like, I'm trying to come back to God. And I got it this morning, and my car wouldn't start. <laughs> and so we had that whole conversation. <laughs> So anyway, and then prayed for him. So in the, at the end of the conversation, he said, well, would you like call me sometime? Or I said, yes, I will. And I said, and you can call me. I'm here. So I'm just going to, I'm going to see how far I'll let me go in terms of, you know, if I can give him a, a chapter to read or a story to read and see if he'll talk about it. So anyway, Josiah. And that is the story about deliverance for the delivery guy. He delivered and got delivered. 
I remember the first time that the Lord uh, allowed me to participate in a deliverance. Uh, we had gone over to the house of a friend of ours. She'd been a friend, a dear, dear friend. We'd raised our kids together uh, for 15 years. And uh, she was dealing with some emotional, emotional problems. She asked if we could come over and, and pray for her. So we came over, and I was just learning about things of the Spirit. And one of the things I was learning is that when, uh, when you pray, it's often very good to pray with your eyes open. So you can see anything that's happening in the natural. Not that it always does. But if it does, then you can see it. I learned the hard way once about praying with my eyes closed. Anyway, that's another story. Anyway, we sat down with this woman, our, our dear friend. And we started to pray. And I was watching her. And she had her head bowed and her eyes closed. And all of a sudden she opened her eyes. And all of the whites of her eyes were blood red. And in a deep man's voice, she said, I'm going to kill you. <clears throat> the first thing I did was swallow my heart back down to its original position. <laughs> but then I remembered my faith in the things hoped for. The promises of God, just like Suzanne did, and that is... He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And I said to this demon, I said, No, you're not. In the name of Jesus, come out of her. And she shook. And the demonic force left. That was an exercise of faith. That was an exercise in the assurance of things hoped for in the present. Faith, it says also, it's the conviction of things not seen. It's connected to not seen. We'd like for our faith to be connected to all the things that are seen, right? <laughs> I mean, how often did Jesus do signs and wonders, but then he rebuked the Jewish leaders, said, that's all, you, that's all you're seeking is signs. <laughs> uh, he had to rebuke Thomas. Remember Thomas after the resurrection? He wasn't there when Jesus showed up to the ten disciples, Judas has hanged himself. So there were eleven, but Thomas was the only one that wasn't there when Jesus first showed up after the resurrection. Thomas wasn't there, and they're all, they're all telling him. And what did Thomas say? I won't believe unless I see the nail prints in his hand and stick my finger in the side of his wound. So Jesus shows up. Thomas goes, uh-oh. <laughs> and Jesus says, come here. Do what you said you wanted to do. Stick your hands in, in, the, in, in my palms. Stick your finger in my side. But then he said, then he said, do you believe because you've seen me? How blessed are those who do not see and believe. Faith is connected to the things not seen. That other version that says it's the evidence of things not seen is that faith can bring the unseen into the seen. It can bring the unseen into the seen. John Wimber, my, uh, one of my mentors, he's with the Lord now, he was talking about the time, and I, again, I tell these stories, and I don't remember where I tell them. So, uh, you know, just be amazed 
if you've already heard it, just be amazed again. Oh, God, what a great story. <clears throat> but he was standing in a grocery line. There was only like one checker at the grocery, and there was a number of people in front of him. Now, I would, in that situation, I would get, I would get impatient. You know, I'd be looking at my phone to see what time it was or whatever. But John decides he's going to worship, stand in the line. So he just closes his eyes. I don't know if he was humming or, or, or if he was completely silent, but he was connecting with God. And what he did was he changed the environment around him. He brought the unseen into the scene. And, and after, you know, a few seconds or a minute or whatever, he kind of opened his eyes and the lady in line in front of him was doing this. She kept looking around at him. And finally he just leaned over and smiled big and he said, he feels really good, doesn't he? <laughs> he was bringing the unseen into the scene. The unfelt into the felt. And that's what faith does. That's what faith does. Well, let's go on. Look at verse 2. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Literally in the Greek text, what it says was, by faith, by the faith, for by it, the people of old received a testimony. They gave a testimony. And the whole rest of the chapter are evidences of men and women who in their faith exercised it and stand, stood out and it became a testimony. It, became a, it becomes a testimony to us as we read the rest of that chapter. And what does a testimony do? I've mentioned this here before too. Psalm 119, I think it's 134 says, How I delight in your testimonies for they are my counselors. Every time we hear a testimony of faith about how somebody exercised their faith and God did this or that, our faith is built up, or should be. It should be. You have a faith testimony. Many of them, most, most likely. And that's to build our faith. That's to strengthen our faith. And so the rest of the chapter are about witnesses, people that have testimony about how their faith was brought in to how, the, how they put their trust in the things hoped for and in the things not seen and how that worked out in their life. And that's to speak to us. That's to encourage and strengthen our faith. Okay, next verse. Yes. By faith, now here's the first witness. Before we ever get to men and women. Here's the first witness of faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. visible. The, the, one of the bottom lines of our faith right now is. Do you believe that God created all this? Do you believe that God created all this? You know. Um. It, it, it's interesting that down in central Texas at night, there are more stars in the sky than there are in Dallas. <laughs> I mean, we can stand on our driveway and I look up at the heavens and my mouth drops open. There are millions and billions and a gazillion stars that we can see. And I stand in awe that God created all of that. 
You know, years ago, I, wrote, uh, I read a book called The Evidential Power of Beauty. I've mentioned that before here, too. It's written by Father Dubay. And he starts with macro creation. He starts with the universe and the galaxies and all that God has created there. And chapter by chapter, he goes further down and down and down until he gets to the micro creation. To the tiniest of the things that God has created. And how God has demonstrated, as Romans 1 says, and as David said, the heavens declare your glory. The heavens are screaming your glory. And then the final chapter in this book is the, the glory of God displayed in the creation of mankind. His creation. To look and see. When I was in dental school, we had a course called Gross Anatomy. And we took dead people, dead bodies, cadavers, and we opened them up and we just started going through the blood vessels and the muscles and you know the whole different body. And I, you know, I mean... You got to get over the little hump of working on a dead body. But I, I would go home almost every day after lab just glorying in God of how He put together the human body. The human body. It's a testament, it's a witness of what God has created. All right, next verse. Now we go to the people. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What's it saying here? That faith, if it's really faith, works. Faith works. Abel had faith. And so he offered an acceptable sacrifice. His, his sacrifice was the evidence of his faith. Faith works. If it's real faith, it's going to work out. If it's real faith, we will rest on it and we will do stuff that normally we wouldn't do. Normally we wouldn't do. Years ago, uh, we were, Suzanne and I were part of a home group. And uh, I mentioned one night to the group that the next day, a pastor friend of mine was calling together a bunch of pastors and civic leaders on top of Reunion Tower for a prayer, just to pray over the city. And uh, one of the guys in the, in the home group said, uh, wouldn't it be funny, John, if you had a word of knowledge for mayor, for the mayor? And everybody laughed. I included, laughed. So the next morning I get to the meeting. And my friend who's running the meeting came up to me and he said, Hey, uh, John, uh, Mayor Kirk is going to be late. I want you to save him a seat next to you. So I sit down, I save this, put my Bible next to me in the seat. And I'm going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And the Lord gives me a word for the mayor. So... We have the meeting and we stand up and, and Ron Kirk, who's the mayor, turned to me and he said, well, Pastor Wallace, it was nice to meet you. And I said, Mayor, it was nice to meet you. And I said, uh, you know, if I could, I just want to share with you. I just saw, I just saw a, a, a picture of you in my mind and you and your wife, you were in a breakfast nook 
and you were having breakfast, but you were also praying together, and you've been praying the same prayer for the last five days, and the Lord said, I'm going to answer that prayer. The mayor looked at me, didn't say a word, and just walked away. <laughs> it doesn't always say that it, we're going to be well received. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I had to be obedient. Faith requires obedience. Faith requires us to step out and act on that faith. And that kind of faith still speaks. That kind of faith still is a testimony. That's why it's so important for us to share testimonies with one another. I know sometimes people kind of hold back their testimony because they don't want to sound like that they're bragging. And sometimes people do brag. I've got to admit that. So you've got to sift through that. But you've got to see what God is saying in and through that testimony to you. To you. Because testimonies speak. Abel, because he believed God. His testimony still speaks to us. Who knows how many thousands of years before the book of Hebrews was written that Abel really lived and died. And through all of those thousands of years, his testimony still spoke to the writer of this book. And it still speaks to us. It still speaks to us. I know of testimonies that people have given down through the years, my friends and people that we know, of things that God have done, and they still speak to me. I remember those testimonies, and they still speak to me. Next verse. Now we have the example of Enoch. Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended is having pleased God. Now, this is out of uh, Genesis chapter 5. And it gives us the genealogy of Adam. And in the midst of the genealogy from Adam down to Noah was a guy named Enoch. And in that genealogy, before Enoch, it said so-and-so lived so many years and then he died. And then so-and-so lived so many years and then he died. And then so-and-so lived so many years and then he died. And I don't remember how many examples of that. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And there's, there, then there was Enoch. And it said that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, because God took him. He walked with God and pleased God, and he was not, for God took him. That's a testimony. I'd like to go out that way, wouldn't you? <laughs> Enoch was one, of, was one of two people in the Old Testament that never saw physical death. The other one was Elijah. Remember? Elijah went up in the whirlwind and it said, and God took him. Same terminology. God took him. Okay? The testimony here, to me anyway, among other things, is that God can do the impossible. 
God can do the impossible. You know, one day I might be walking down the hallway with Max, and all of a sudden I turn around and he's gone. <laughs> For God took him. <laughs> and then I start questioning, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me grab his shirt tail as he's going. <laughs> That's faith. That's faith. God so enjoyed the fellowship of Enoch when he was on the earth that he wanted that fellowship with him directly. Next verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He brought up at the end of verse 5 that Enoch pleased God in his faith and God took him. He said, so with, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. First thing, believe that he exists. And secondly, that he rewards those who seek him. You might find it easier to believe that God is than it is to believe that he rewards those who seek him. I know several believers that have a real hard time with that last part. They have a hard time that God's a rewarder. And you know part of the problem is is that our screwed up standard of what's, what a reward is. Uh, you might think, well, my reward would be for God to give me what I want. <laughs> That's my reward. And he's not doing it, so he's not a rewarder. Well, you've got a messed up system of rewards, dude. You do. He exists. He is the I am. Uh, I got a friend who's a Jewish believer in Yeshua, in Jesus. And uh, we, we were in a group meeting last night. My friend Gary was there. And in the midst of us sharing with one another and ministering to one another, he brought up that verse where God tells Moses, I am that I am. And, and Gary said, you can also, in the Hebrew, translated, translate that verse to be, I will be what I will be. I will be what you need in that moment. I am blank. Fill in the blank. I am. That's who God is. You've got to believe that He exists. He's the I am, and then He is a rewarder. Of those who seek him. In Genesis 15. God appears to, to Abram again. And, and he says to Abram. He says. Uh, I am the Lord your God. And some translations say. Uh, and your reward is very great. But the Hebrew, the Hebrew is, a, is, is a little questionable there. It can also be translated. And I am your reward. I'll take both of them. <laughs> Whatever his rewards come. But I know the greatest reward that God can give me is himself. And so that's why I pursue. That's why we sang the song earlier. That we, that we pursue him. That we desire him. We long for him. We yearn for him. My good friend Jim Hilton. Who's, uh, been a, he's 87 years old. Still going strong. Uh, been a mentor to me for almost 40 years. 
And he just made the comment the other day. He said, a lot of Christians spend a lot more time thinking, of God, uh, thinking, thinking about God than being with Him. They spend a lot more time thinking about God than being with Him. I'm not against thinking about God at all. That's worship. But it, if it doesn't lead us to being with Him, it's just an intellectual exercise. He is the reward. And He does bring us rewards. Maybe not always the kind we want. But it's always the kind that He sees that we need. Let me just go back and just, again, just say faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. And yet sometimes we think it can be earned. Right? Faith is a gift. Ephesians 2, familiar verses. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, it, it's interesting, we don't see it in English, but it's interesting that the word, uh, in, in the Greek language, there's masculine words, there's feminine words, and then there's what's called neuter words. Neither masculine nor feminine. In in this passage, grace and faith are both feminine words. So when it gets down to, and this is not your own doing, you'd think that this, which relates back to grace and faith, would be feminine. It's not. It's neuter. So you go, wait a minute. Then what's the this? <laughs> By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of it. It. It is the gift of God. What is this and what is it in that verse? It's the grace-faith package. Grace through faith. It's the grace-gift package, which means that both grace and faith are gifts. I gave my life to Jesus Christ on February, I think the 16th, 1969. I exercised faith in Jesus. But you know what? I couldn't have exercised faith in Jesus before I was a Christian unless I had that faith just before I became a Christian. Because I didn't have faith before I was a Christian. And so, whether it was a few seconds before or an hour before or a day before, I got this grace-faith package. And so did you. Whenever you gave your life to Jesus. And it was a gift. You didn't do a dadgum thing for it. You didn't. You didn't. It's a gift. Let me, let me show you another place where that's true. Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to read seven verses here. Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm gonna, wait, 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 wait. Stop there. I just saw something that I think I need to comment on. It's not in my notes. Alright. Alright. So here's Simon Peter. You think he was a heavyweight in the first century church? You think he was known all over the church? You think that maybe some little Christian in Rome or Ephesus or Corinth might have this little creeping idea in, God, how could I be like Simon Peter? 
How can I be like him? And right off the get-go, Simon says, you have obtained a faith just like mine. Your faith, the gift that God has given you, is not any different than mine. It's the same. So whoever you think right now is a big gun in Christianity, you got the same faith that they do. You might even have more. Go ahead. Verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Next verse. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. There are the promises. Things hoped for. There are the promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is uh, in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now go back to verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, to add to your faith virtue, knowledge, etc., etc., etc. He doesn't say add faith. Why? Because faith's already there. You just add these other things to your faith. You've already got faith. You've already got faith. And sometimes we make the, the same um, we make the same mistake that the disciples did. Can you go to Luke 17? Did I give that to you? All right, so Luke 17. <clears throat> Jesus says, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Next verse. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The disciples heard something that just completely undid them. They'd always been taught that at most, you can forgive somebody seven times, and after that, you don't have to forgive them anymore. And Jesus just blew them out of the water. He disrupted their mindset. He disrupted their religious system. He disrupted their way of thinking. So then they said, this must be a matter of faith. And they said, we need more faith. And Jesus' answer was not, yes you do. He said, look, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Now, one time I preached this message out of this passage in our church building over in Garland. This was years and years and years ago. And we had 400 seats in the sanctuary. And I got there early. And I pulled out. I went to the uh, grocery store and I got a jar of mustard seeds. And I went and I put a mustard seed under all 400 chairs. So later in the morning during the service, I uh, said to them, uh, not every seat was taken, but I said to them, I said, I left you a gift today. 
How many people saw it? Zero. Saw it. I said, what's underneath your seat is a mustard seed. That's just as big as your faith needs to be. And you didn't even see it. See, the question is, God, it's not God give me more faith. The question is, Lord, I want to take hold of your grace to exercise the faith you've given me. To me, faith is like a muscle. Or like the muscles in our body. If there's a healthy birth, and that means that baby has every muscle in its body that it will have as an adult. But what takes place over time? How does that faith grow? How does that muscle grow? Use, exercise, feeding it, proper nutrition, proper rest at times. You have, you have, you have all the faith you need. It resides inside of you because it's a gift of God. And what you do, need to do, is you need to feed it. How do you feed it? One of the ways is listen to testimonies. Listen to testimonies. Feed it with this right here, with the promises that are in here for you. That greater is He who's in you than He's who's in the world. Feed it. Exercise it. When God calls upon you to step out in faith, be obedient. Step out there. I know it's scary. I've been scared at times. I have. I still am. I still am. Sometimes God calls me to do things and I go, really? Really? Yeah. And at times, just rest in your faith. Just rest in it. The whole rest of the chapter in Hebrews 11 are those testimonies of how people of faith exercised their faith. It'd be good for you to just go back and read that chapter again. See if any of those testimonies speak to you where you are right now. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction, the evidence of things not seen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for faith. We thank you for this gift. And I thank you for the faith that's in every single person here who knows you. I thank you for your testimonies, Lord. Not only the testimonies of Scripture, but the testimonies of our day, which strengthens, causes our faith to grow and get stronger. So Lord, just uh, continue Continue to draw us in. Lord, continue to uh, allow us to take hold of what you have said and say, yes, I believe this and I will live my life on the basis of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.